0: So there are those moments where you watch something or learn something that changes how you see not only yourself, but also history, along with the future, completely differently. And that's how we felt about Who We Are, which is a new documentary featuring Jeffrey Robinson, produced by Robinson and our two guests today, Emily and Sarah Kunstler. I feel fortunate to have first met both of these amazing women when Sarah and I were in law school together, what seems like, I don't know, forever ago. Mm -hmm. It was, for the record, (laughs) was less than 20 years ago, which still seems like a long time ago. And have only this to say about this film. Everyone should see it. And I mean, everyone.
1: I 100% agree. You know, in this episode, we talked to Emily and Sarah about the impetus for this amazing documentary We talk about why this conversation is so important. And additionally, why it's imperative that everyone understand our country's foundational struggles so that we can move forward collectively. This is not just a film about black history. This is a film about our American history. We can't wait for you to hear more in their own words. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. Hopefully, that includes watching this film. We are your biracial hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. Would you two please introduce yourselves for our audience? Sure. I'm Emily Kuntzler.
2: I am a director, producer, and the editor of Who We Are, Chronicle of Racism in America. And we're also here with my sister.
3: I'm Sarah Kuntzler, and I am a... a co-director and producer of the documentary as well, but not the editor. That's all Emily.
0: This film that we're going to talk about, this documentary, I don't even really know how to express what I think about it in words. You know, I can wholeheartedly say and agree with whoever has said that this should be seen by everyone in America because there were parts of this film that reminded me of... How I felt when I saw Eyes on the Prize in seventh grade in Mr. Estrada's class, who later got in trouble, I think, for showing that to us, or at least created some like parent strife back in the late 80s when some parents felt like we shouldn't be watching that in class. But that film, that series, you know, changed the way I saw history in our country in that moment. And I think this documentary does the same thing. And now watching who we are as a mother to black sons. I cried in several parts for different reasons. That same idea that history forever looks different was still there and is still there powerfully through the film. So I wanna talk about what got you to making this film. And I know that in 2015, you both saw a presentation by Jeffrey Robinson that was you know, the seed for this movie. So can you tell us about how then that presentation sort of blossomed into this documentary?
3: Yeah, well, this is Sarah speaking. It was actually in 2017 that I heard Jeffrey speak at a continuing legal education seminar, which uh, Misasha knows as a lawyer, we have to take these things uh, if we want to keep our licenses current. So I went because it was free and, you know, for very little, you know, other reason, the fact that it was about racism in our legal system, and our history was not even a compelling point for me because I assumed because a group of lawyers had put it together that it would be done badly and that it would be boring. But I heard Jeffrey speak and I, you know, he changed my life. He changed. I walked out of the room and I could not see the world I live in the same way anymore. And that was a really powerful shift for me in my life and I say this as someone who comes from a family committed to anti-racism, a family of our parents are, were civil rights lawyers. They were, anti-racism was their strongest commitment. It was something that was passed to us like religion in terms of how we were supposed to live our lives and what we were supposed to commit to. And I walked into the, that room with that background and didn't realize how little I knew about our country's history of anti-Black racism and white supremacy. And being a filmmaker, in addition to being a lawyer and having the amazing partner I do in my sister, Emily, I immediately called her. Figured we tracked down Jeffrey Robinson through a mutual friend of yours and mine, Misasha Jisan was the connector.
0: I love that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) And we arranged to meet him for coffee and the rest is history. This became a collaboration between Jeffrey Robinson and Emily and I to adapt his talk into a documentary film.
1: How did he react when you contacted him after that presentation? I'm just curious what his response was at that coffee.
2: This is Emily speaking. He's the same humble, lovely, approachable person that you see in the film in real life. So, you know, I mean, he was really flattered and surprised and had never thought of making this into anything but what it was, which was a PowerPoint presentation that he had been giving. So, you know, he was excited and surprised. He didn't know us. So I think, he, you know, he, he wanted to talk to some friends in common, sort of get the inside track, find out if we were the real deal or people that he would want to work with. From our first meeting, when we sat there, we actually went to a Starbucks by his office, his ACLU office in downtown Manhattan. He had a hot chocolate because he doesn't drink coffee. I mean, this is Jeffrey's life's work. He had worked on it for eight years by the time it's funny, every time we answer this question, the years he's worked on it changes. It was six, eight, twelve for a long time, he'd been working on this presentation, <laughs> which was so carefully researched, you know, and put together. He really, you know, had devoted so much energy to it. So it was, you know, Sarah and I would have never considered taking on a historical documentary, you know, from scratch, from the starting point. But with Jeff having already done all of this work, it was phenomenal. It was a real gift to be able to join with him in bringing this to the largest audience possible. So I think he was excited and also maybe a little skeptical, but he ultimately agreed to let us come along this journey with him. And then the next five years we spent making this film. That's
1: really cool. You, Sarah, described the background of your family and how intentional you both have been with this kind of work. So I was curious, why was it important to you both that he would own the rights to the film and that he would have like final say editorially on the content of
3: the film? This is Sarah. Well, it was Jeff's work. He had spent years putting this talk together. It wouldn't have felt right to license it from him and become the owners of the documentary that was born out of his talk because the documentary is his talk. You know, the talk is the backbone of the documentary. The documentary is about Jeffrey Robinson. He's the person who leads you through this history, he's the person who takes you off the stage in Town Hall, where we filmed him giving his talk, out into the world to meet with keepers of history and, you know, people whose life stories and, you know, dovetail with the history that Jeffrey shares in the talk. So it was how we proposed it to him from the very beginning. We said, look, we don't want to own this. This is your life's work. We want to the honor of being a part of this in helping you put this out into the world. And I think the terms on which we presented it gave Jeff a little more faith in our motives. We did give him complete editorial control that we weren't going to take anything out or put anything in that he didn't agree with. And it was actually, it's a very unusual arrangement in documentary film or in the film business. You know, the film business is all about rights and licensing rights. And it's not about giving away ownership of a film to the subject or creator. In doing that, we felt like we were, honoring our commitment to anti-racist work and doing this in the only way that Emily and I felt comfortable participating in it which was not taking it away from Jeffrey but collaborating with him into adapting his work into a film
0: i think that's really powerful and, and you know the dichotomy between how typically film rights work and what you two did here is so striking and such a strong statement i think but it also speaks to the trust right that you were building together because in jeffrey's own words in the press kit he says you know and as we work together we built trust i was reluctant to have personal stories included but they convinced me that some of my family history would help complete the narrative i agreed because of the trust we built working together for three years and the film is better for it so That trust, though, seems, you know, to be that foundation. And besides, you know, giving that editorial control and having him own the rights, how else did you build that trust as you're, you know, going on this journey with him?
2: Well, this is Emily speaking. I think that any creative, you know, collaboration is just by its nature sort of intense. You know, we once we started traveling with Jeff, it was just really, you know, us a small crew in like a. 15-passenger van going to these different places, and you get pretty close pretty fast. And also, it was the nature of the work, you know? I mean, we were meeting these really amazing people who gave us such access to their lives and their stories and had such trust in us as a group, had so much trust in Jeff, you know, and us by association, and just processing that together, you know, and the conversations we would have in the van, you know, or at dinner that night, you know, you're just with each other 24 hours a day, you know, it really was very bonding for all of us, us and Jeff and and also the rest of our crew. So, I mean, essentially now we're like family, you know, we're brainstorming about our next projects. You know, we don't see this film as the end of our relationship at all. We see it as the beginning. So it's, you know, it's been a real gift. And along the way, you know, with Jeff agreeing to incorporate some of his family story, Sarah and I have made a film about our family and our father and had been pushed the same way by producers that we worked with to feel comfortable incorporating some of our story into it, we had been totally uncomfortable with it and really did it only as much as was absolutely necessary to tell the story. So we totally understood where Jeffrey was coming from and the reluctance he was feeling. And I think that because we had also been through it, you know, he listened to us and trusted us even more. But, you know, we just we both feel so grateful for the relationships that we developed through this project with Jeff the people we interviewed. I mean, we're still keeping in touch with with people we met all across the country and are going to be seeing many of them again as this film opens in their communities when we return for screenings.
1: That's awesome. You know, I wanted to ask sort of a little bit more explicitly about that, because, you know, Emily, you just mentioned people trusted you because they trusted Jeff and therefore, by extension, you two are two white women filming the story of a black man. How did all of your racial identities play a role in
3: this building of the trust? What did you notice as you were going through this process? This is Sarah. That's a hard question to answer. I think, I don't know how much, I mean, We bring our racial identity to everything, right? So we bring it to our engagement with the world. It's part of the lens for better or worse that we see things through and that we are perceived through. So I think it definitely impacted the building of our relationship with Jeffrey. One thing I will say about Jeff is that part of why why his talk spoke to me to begin with and part of why I wanted to make a film out of it is Jeff's talk is very welcoming to white people. He uh, talks about this history that's been stolen or hidden from all of us as a, well, he talks about this history as something that's been stolen from all of us, rather, and something that it is our collective responsibility to get back, to reclaim together, and that it is only in the process of this collective reclaiming and reckoning that we can move towards our collective liberation as a country. And so that's Jeff's, you know, grand proposition is, you know, this is our history. It belongs to us. It belongs to, you know, Black, white, you know, Americans of all races and that reclaiming it is an act of empowerment and it is a step towards healing. So, you know, as a white person, I was like, wow, you've given me an access point to wade into some very difficult stuff. And that's powerful. And I want to share that with other white people, that access point. And in giving Emily and I and white audiences permission to wade into this history, you know, he gave us also gives us permission to talk about it, reflect on it, reckon with it. And we did a lot of that in the van as we traveled. We talked a lot about, we reflected a lot on what we had experienced. We didn't always experience things the same way. We would come out of interviews with people we met and, you know, sometimes we would be energized and talk a great deal together about what we had just experienced and sometimes there were no words and we were we had, you know, long silences in the van as we drove to the airport or to our next stop. And that's a real bonding experience, you know, in bearing witness together in talking about it together, in hearing what Jeff, as a black man, took from the experiences that we had and in you know in sharing our own. Emily describes this experience as a gift, and it really was because i you know i it was not an opportunity that either of us had had before in our lives to to witness you know, the life experience of the people we interviewed in this film and to sit with those experiences and to work through them as a group. I appreciate you sharing it in that
1: way. You know, it struck me that it stands, this approach you talked about with Jeffrey's welcoming of white people into this narrative, everyone being in it together, stands in stark contrast to what I think a lot of white people are afraid of, which is cancel culture. What is your thought around cancel culture and your experiences in it in this realm so far?
2: well this is emily speaking there's been a knee-jerk response to our film from people who haven't seen it that's been very negative there's sort of a movement to not reclaim this history to continue this you know the creation myth of america and it seems to be somewhat organized and very active you know and it's that kind of fear that kind of knee-jerk response just shows you how necessary this all is to look at and revisit and how we're on the precipice of something so exciting and unique if there is this kind of this fear and this intentional, you know, you know, movement to prevent people from actually getting this information, you know. So if anything, the ways in which, you know, this film has received that negative attention, we only see as a real, as a positive sign. You know, the more people that come out against it without seeing it, the more important we realize it is, the more important other people are going to realize it is because you can't, you know, live this lie forever. You know, it's been corrosive and polluting and it's bubbling to the surface despite people's best efforts to, you know, to keep it down. So we're, you know, we're excited to be part of this dialogue in this moment when there is such, you know, fervor and excitement around access to education.
3: I just wanted to respond to Sarah too in that, I think when you think about cancel culture, I think it is, there's a fear in among white people about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing when it comes to kind of talking about race and our history of racism in this country. And, you know, they're (laughs) indicative of that are laws that are being passed across the country right now about what school children can learn and restricting learning that might make children uncomfortable about their race. And I think inherent in that, I don't think it's really about discomfort. I think it's about, it is about fear of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or being the wrong thing. But fundamentally, I think it's about fear of change, that knowing this history, it's not that it's gonna make us uncomfortable, But it's that it has implications for the way we live our lives and the choices we make. And that, I think, is the larger fear, much more so than being canceled is about, is that this examination is going to require us to make different choices going forward.
0: I love both of those perspectives. And I, I think that you're right, because it's in those moments where you cannot see history the same, right? You cannot see the path forward. In the same way again and, and it reminds me of how you know i was doing a talk for a school district a couple weeks ago and one of the comments was it's great learning about all these subcultures was the exact words but let's not forget that america was founded on opportunity you know and hard work not on what this history of white supremacy and so i think there is that fear but there is also that sort of realization that you have that if you change that narrative, if you expand that narrative to include the true history, you can't look at anything the same way. And in fact, we cannot move forward knowing that until we address those. So I think you're absolutely right. And that's something that we talk about a lot in our work as well, that this is one of those, you know, and and I loved in the film where Jeffrey Robinson is talking about those tipping points, right? And you're at those moments and you roll, you go forward, you go back and you cannot continue to go two steps forward and three steps back. It, It just... We can't progress. You know, one of the strongest parts of your film to me was the stories, right? It's his presentation, but it's interspersed with these stories and where he goes to places. And you see sort of this living history of what he's talking about. How did you all pick the stories that were included and people and the locations? And, you know, I just thought they were so well put in each place in the film to make that point in a way that really resonates with everyone.
2: Well, this is Emily speaking. This film was funded unconventionally. Jeff really didn't want to make a partnership with anybody early on because he wanted to maintain control over the content. And he was fearful, with good reason, that if we brought someone else in, a producing partner, a financer, that there would be uh, an attempt to, to control what he wanted to say. So Jeff was flying around the country to give his presentation and it was a free plane ticket for him and a free hotel for him. So we would be like, great, you know, can we come (laughs) and where he would go? I mean, this is how some of the trips worked, where he would go like our trip to, to Charleston. We would find people in the community that would bring stories from his presentation to life. You know, we know that there's different ways to tell history. There's different ways to absorb history and you can use the facts and you can use primary source materials but another very powerful way to tell history is through narrative. So we knew we wanted to, in order to really connect with audiences and make this, you know, something that you could really, a history you could see in practice, you know, in the world around you, we really wanted to include real life stories. Another way that, I mean, we spoke about getting access through Jeff, you know, when we would go to communities like, for example, Tulsa, activists, for good reasons, are protective of the stories and the people in that community, um, and protective and not wanting them to be misused, abused. And we went to Tulsa and met people for the first time. Everyone was very lovely and nice to us, but didn't know us, you know? We, they didn't know what we were doing. They didn't know um, what our intentions were. So Jeff put on a presentation at the, basically the only Black-owned structure that still exists on Greenwood Avenue from the massacre that took place there. and invited the whole community, invited survivor's family, and they saw Jeff's presentation. And it made, you know, it it really opened doors for us because people in the community knew who Jeff was. They knew that he was the real deal. And the next day, you know, we had calls and meetings with people. Um, It took two trips down there before we earned the trust to be introduced to Mother Randall, who was a survivor of the Tulsa massacre. Ultimately, on that second trip, she wasn't well enough to be interviewed. So that was the one interview we did during the pandemic over Zoom, without Jeff's presentation, without the welcoming nature of his presentation, the well-researched nature of his presentation, you know, it's such an invitation in for people, and his ability to be vulnerable in his presentation, you know and to show the person that he is, that really the film would have been impossible to include all these narratives without it. And the Tulsa story was such a central part of Jeff's presentation from the beginning, so we knew that we knew we needed to, to include that in this, in this film
1: what i heard emily from your conversation just now was how much patience is required and to not expect things to happen immediately and that it takes time to build relationships because while history is history some of its living history and a lot of it is around the people who've experienced it themselves so you have to take the time to build those relationships and build the trust and not come in like a you know we're going to get this done and move gangbusters and trot over people's feelings so as I'm hearing you say that, it makes me think about you, know, you both using your skills to actively participate in anti-racist work. And I think about people who are listening to this right now who might be like, well, but how do I do something like this? What can I do in my realm to also help change the course of history like you two did by making this film? How do you see this kind of work in terms of like an everyday person who's watching the film? How can everybody come in and stand up? and do the right thing? And what it also did you learn about yourselves through the process of making this movie?
3: This is Sarah. I think a first step would be to learn this history and watching this film is definitely a way to do that. And to watch, to learn, and if this film is the way, is your way in, is a way you've decided to learn this history, to do so with other people, to do so in community. This film is a great film to watch with your family, with people in your community, with people you care about, to have discussions about. Because unless we shatter the myth of the land of opportunity, unless we learn this history, then we won't be able to figure out as individuals, as community members, as a nation, how to move forward. So we're at a very early stage, I mean, you know, of tackling America's original sin of slavery and the white supremacy that has been at this core of our nations since before its founding, really, since uh, colonial times. You know, we're just figuring this out. And what I would say to other white people who want to do this work is let's learn this together. Let's talk about it together and let's figure out next steps together. There's no immediate call to action, because until we're operating from a shared set of facts, until we shift this narrative and bring the light into the reality of our nation's history, we can't problem solve. We can't figure out the solutions. So I think this step is both a hard step and an easy step, because the work required is learning, and what results from that learning is a radical shift in perspective, that will help guide us into what the solutions will be in our lifetime.
2: And the question you asked is definitely something that Sarah and I struggled with before we began to make this film. How do we do this work? What's the best place for us to put our efforts? You know, where can we see the biggest return? And finding it frustrating and limiting, you know, until we met Jeff and saw this presentation. We're like, that's what we can do. You know, this finally, you know, Jeff has packaged this in a way that we can share. You know, these are like, I mean, Sarah went to his first presentation, she came out with like, you know, pages and pages of notes, you know, but sharing like the notes you took at a lecture is not very powerful, right? So we did this so that we could make a tool for people to use, you know, this film is a tool. We hope it's used as a tool. We hope it's used as a tool to educate ourselves, to educate others, to start conversations. I mean, you know, Sarah said, this is, can be hard and this can be uncomfortable, But this film isn't hard or uncomfortable, and it's a really great entry point for people trying to find a way in, you know, or Jeff gives you the tools to have conversations, you know, I mean, you see Jeff talk to people with such grace. It's like, oh, my goodness, everything doesn't have to be an argument, you know, You you know, lean on the facts, then they'll speak for themselves, you know. And, you know, we have there's people that know some of this history. There's no one that knows all of it regardless of where they come from, regardless of of the color of their skin, there's something that everyone can get from this film. And everyone has a family and a community that is politically diverse. You know, not that this is even about politics, this is just about facts, but that has, you know, a different set of opinions about the world and the country. So it's, you know, it's a really great way to have conversations, you know, with your cousin, with your uncle, with your child with your best friend from middle school that somehow you you deviated ways over the years and you don't understand their thinking anymore and they don't understand yours, you know? I mean, it's a way back to the table and we hope that it's used that way.
0: I really appreciate that. Well, a way back to the table, just how you ended that because I I think that's what people can be searching for and that this documentary really provides that ability to them. And plus, I also really love that the two of you took your skills and, you know, did this work in a way that made the most sense to you? Because I think that's another question that we hear a lot, well, what do I do? I'm not, you know, someone who's a frontline marcher or, you know, and I think people feel very pigeonholed about what is activism? What does an anti-racist look like? So this is a great example of what anti-racist work looks like that I hope people can hold on to. You know, so. After I watched your film, I immediately texted basically everyone I knew and was like, you need to go see this. I've been talking to people, I've been telling everyone, but let's say you're not on my personal text list. How can people see your film and where can they find out more about both of you?
2: The jeffrey started left the aclu last april and started an organization called the who we are project and this film opened in new york and la on mlk weekend but last friday opened nationwide so it's a documentary usually documentaries are in theaters for a week you know maybe two i mean and it's rolling out to a couple more cities throughout the month but the month of february if you, is the time to see it in the theaters and at the who we are project.org. There's a list of all that you can, there's this way to search, put in your location and the theaters near you will pop up so where, you know, the films like this don't get shown in 357 theaters, you know, across the country. So we, we feel so privileged that Sony Pictures Classics and AMC theaters took such an interest in this film and realized its value and its importance in this
3: moment. I will add to that. If it's not playing, if the film isn't playing in your community, or you missed it in the theater, one of the great things that the AMC theater chain is doing is they're actually continuing to make it available throughout the month of February. So for groups, so if you have a group of twenty people or three hundred people, you can actually call contact your local AMC theater and schedule a private screening. And this is you know, so we're just really grateful. For what Sony Pictures Classics has done and what AMC is doing to help us get this film out into the world.
1: Is there anything that we haven't asked that you think is important for us to all talk about?
2: I mean, I, this is Emily. I guess the, the Who We Are project, Jeff's organization, you know, it's focused on education. This film is just the beginning of that organization, you know, it's its first major project. But Jeff's goal is, you know, is to change the, to reframe the, you know, the creation story of this country um, and to get it out there and to get this history into schools, into community groups, into churches, into government organizations, into private organizations. And that's the mission of the Who We Are project. So this, you know, there's, we're working on curriculum and, and all sorts of things for lots of different people in different areas. And that information on that will also be continually available on the website. That's fantastic.
0: I'm so excited. I'm here for all of those projects. The minute you mentioned this was just the start, I was like, yes, I can't wait for more. But thank you both so much for your time here today. We are so excited to be able to share who we are with our and this podcast episode with our listeners. So thank you.
1: You've been listening to the Dear White Women podcast and are the reason we are among the top one and a half percent of podcasts in the world. You rock. Did you love this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify to leave a rating and review. And it may seem like a pain, but it really helps. And make sure you're following us so you keep getting the newest episodes each Tuesday. Don't forget for all your non-podcast listener friends to tell them about our new book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism which you can buy anywhere you buy books, including Amazon, where we would love your reviews. We're on Instagram and Twitter and are upping the game on our emails. And if you love us, send us an email at hello at dearwhitewomen.com to bring us into your company for a webinar or a workshop.